Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. Guys, this time, uh, Paul is shipwrecked, okay? And we're talking about boats, and so I gotta know, you got any good boat stories? Have you ever been shipwrecked? <laughs> no, Arr, no, I haven't. <laughs> Back in my life as a pirate, uh, I don't have a lot of great boat stories. But I was on a cruise for our for our honeymoon, and uh, how was that? It was it was fun. I mean, it's like a you know floating hotel on the sea, full of food. Like it's it is what it is. But uh, I mean, honeymoon was great. But the the thing we learned is so we went on a most cruises sail out of like Florida. That's where most of them are. This one sailed out of Houston, and apparently, like. 80% of the ship were Texans and unbeknownst to us, they always have a Texas night on a Texas cruise. And so one night we walk out to dinner and everybody is wearing Texas flag, you know, vests and hats and <laughs> they've got a huge Texas flag that they like drape from the top thing. And like the whole deal, they sang the yellow rose of Texas and we, we had no idea what we had stumbled into. So that's our, that's our cruise experience. At least the honeymoon was good. It was fun. No. <laughs> That's good. Eric? I have zero interest on ever going on a yeah, cruise. Me neither. I don't. But I do like boats. Yeah. Grew up in New Jersey, Jersey Shore. Love it. Love going out on boats. Uh, my brother bought two... Uh, uh, what's the difference between like jet skis and wave runners? Like whichever the bigger ones are, my brother bought two of those. And so in Delaware, there's all these tributaries. And so you can be in the ocean and go into canals and stuff. So you can pretty much like just go out on the water and explore around Delaware, end up in Cape May, New Jersey. So, uh, so that's fun to do that. But a boat story is a family vacation. One year, uh, we were somewhere in Southern Indiana and there was a Marina. And so one of the days of our family vacation, I rented a pontoon boat that had enough speed that you could also tube, you know, not great tubing, not like speedboat tubing, but you could at least, you know, pull some stuff with the pontoon boat. It was a double-decker pontoon, you know, so you could jump off the top. And, well, it turned out to be a cold, rainy day. And on top of that, I got crazy sick. So, like, I, I have got the chills. I'm spiking a fever. I've wow. got a splitting headache. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And it's raining, and it's cold, and I'm miserable, and that, I'm sure, means that Clayton had way more fun on his honeymoon <laughs> yep. than I had on a pontoon boat in southern Indiana. Man. Uh, I grew up on boats, so my dad and I, uh, we loved to fish, especially when I was younger. Um, but he had you know, small fishing boats. He bought a big boat that we, we were able to take out on the ocean every now and then. Um, I had uh, uncles and other family members that had oceans and so loved deep sea fishing, loved fishing in lakes and ponds. Uh, so I grew up on boats. Um, there was one boat that he owned he bought. It was called the Sea Devil. My mom never <laughs> liked that name. Um, but it was a bigger boat. And I remember uh, it was new. He just kind of worked on it. We went out there, uh, went out pretty far on this lake and she was so upset with him because she's like what if it breaks down it's going to break down you're going to get stuck out there and sure enough it broke down and we had to be towed in um it was a very late night a very scary time for young little me but um i should have named dad. it something else That's right. exactly if we would have named it something else it would have been okay <laughs> it would have worked 
And when you have a worry wart in your life, it only takes that one time <laughs> right, that to one justify time. Oh, right. it's, it's all the worry. It's confirmed. That's it. I told you it was going to happen, and it happened. That's it. So, um, so yeah, good fishing stories, good boat stories. That's what I like. All right, Eric. I don't know if they were good, but they were boat they stories. They were boat stories. It, well... So this is why people they tune into. The, this is why people good. tune into the Bible Savvy podcast <laughs> to hear our marginally interesting. Hey, if you got some boat, boat stories, stories, you got boat stories. You can send us boat stories. You let us know. We want to hear about your boat stories. You go. You, you go boating anywhere? Good. Let me know. Maybe I can take my dad fishing. Email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. I don't think we're getting one boat story. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Eric, tell us a little bit about the regathering that's coming up. Oh yeah, it's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> On, on September 11th. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that, Eric. <laughs> hey, everyone. Check out all of our social media platforms for Christ Community Church. Go to the website. Click on the Regathering 2022 uh, on the homepage. All the FAQs, all the stuff is there. Here's the only thing I'm going to say. This is a moment in time where you want to be there. This is not just a fun day. It's going to be a fun day. But this is one of those moments where you say, I'm going there to seek the Lord with thousands of other people who call Christ Community their church home. So, and even if you are marginally connected, if you've been maybe watching our services online, you're like, ah, I've never really even gone in person yet. I'm just, I'm kind of on the periphery. Or you used to be at church in person and you slowly slid through COVID. This is a great day to say, you know what? This is the day that I say enough. I'm back. I'm in. Yep. Like, let's go. So, regathering 2022, hit the website, cccLife.org, register, and we're all going to be there. It's going to be awesome. All right. Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? We are going to be in Acts 27. We're getting here to the end of the book of Acts. And uh, just to give a little kind of lead up to what's been happening, if you've been reading along, you probably know, but uh, just a reminder, uh, Paul has been on uh, some missionary journey, so he's been going from town to town. And then we just talked last week about how he went to Jerusalem, and while he was there, uh, there was a mob, and people tried to kill him, and he eventually was arrested, uh, being accused by the Jews of things. And uh, the Romans are trying to sort all this out, and in the middle of them trying to sort all it out, trying to figure out what the actual problem is, Paul does something very... Um, interesting to us because it's, it's not something we normally have. It says he appealed to Caesar. And what that means, so Paul's a Roman citizen. And if you are a Roman citizen, you had a right to say, if I'm in trouble, I can appeal to the highest court in the land and go to Rome. And you might have to wait a real long time. But when it comes down to it, you can stand before the imperial court and have your, your uh, trial done by Caesar or you know someone close to Caesar. So Paul is saying, I want to do this because in some ways it's a way to sort of like get out of the threatening situation of the Jews are going to kill him. Um, but then now the Romans are saying, well, we have to follow through on that. Like there's no, there's no option. If he's a citizen, we have to do it. But what that means is they've got to get him from Jerusalem to Rome somehow. So he basically get tags along with a Roman centurion and the kind of the, the guard that he's got. And whenever they go to Rome, he goes with them. And so they get on a boat and it doesn't go so well. So there is a storm. Um, if you start reading in verse 13, you get a description of uh, a storm that comes on and how it kind of goes on for days. And after a while, um, it, it's, it's getting really desperate on the boat. And so we're going to pick that up in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, 
You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors left the light, let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You've eaten, you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. All right, we're going to start with O in comma, which stands for observation. So we're looking at the things that we notice here, things that are striking, things that are repeated, things that tell us about God. What do you see here? Uh, This is a pretty suspenseful passage. Uh, You've got a lot of urging going on. Like that's a repeated word that you see, this urge. Um, Also this like, uh, like this contrast of like courage or fear. Um, it's like these, these people were scared, but then Paul was telling them to kind of keep, keep their courage and keep, he kept encouraging them even, you know, uh, it's, it's a cool contrast. What stuck out to me were very specific details. Mm-hmm. There were 256 of us on board or it was a hundred and what was it? 120 feet and then 90 feet or, or 130 feet and then 90 feet. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was one of those. Uh, yeah, very specific details about what was going on. 
I, I noticed uh, in the paragraph that starts in verse 33, uh, the fact that he just says, you got you to gotta eat something. There's this crisis moment, and there, there's something really practical about, about saying, Look, if you're going to get through this, you've got it. You got to have food, and uh, it's almost it's almost more than just the practical. Though there's some hope in that of saying, like, if you think you're going to die, uh, you might just like give up hope and stop eating, right? But he's saying, no, you're going to live, and and you need your strength. Um, but then here's the really interesting detail that I noticed um, in verse 35. It says he took bread, gave thanks in front of it all, and broke it. Now. That's a phrase. If you've been around Christ Community Church for a while or any other church that celebrates communion, you have probably heard that phrase many, many times. And the reason, that's because often in church, a pastor will say, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, because that's a quote from the Gospel of Luke describing how Jesus did communion. And so, when Luke is writing this passage, I think he knows that he's echoing his previous story. Um, and I'm not sure what all the connections to that mean, but it's one of those places, we talked about this last week, where there are things that uh, Jesus' followers do that look a lot like what Jesus did. Now, the story of the gospel versus the story of Acts, the parallels are all over the place. I think this is another little subtle hint that that uh, Jesus' people become like Jesus. But when- Paul didn't calm the storm. <laughs> but he didn't calm the storm. It's the one thing, it's like, you know what, of the things Jesus did with a storm, he didn't pull that one. Yeah, up. he didn't walk on the water. Yeah. Walk on the water. He floated on a plank to shore. <laughs> when Jesus fed the five thousand, does it does it yes. say he broke bread and gave thanks? Yes, mm-hmm. it says that too. That yep. that is what my brain went to, because uh, in verse thirty seven, where it says all together there were two hundred and seventy six of us on board. I feel like if you're going to share, it, I, yep. I think if you're going to share that detail, if you're giving an account of this, you're you're pointing out that this is not just a handful of people. So I don't know exactly what Luke is trying to do here, although we keep we keep pointing out the fact that Luke seems to be intentionally saying Jesus' followers are doing things that Jesus did. Uh, but I, I found that that that's what my brain went to when I was when I was reading those verses. There's there's another passage in Luke where that he does that. It's after he's resurrected, when he's with the people who he's walking along the road to Emmaus, he's talking to people and they don't realize it's him. It says that when they got to their home, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. Like there are, these, there are these moments of echo that I think Luke knows what he's doing of saying, there's something about the presence of Jesus, even in this moment that, that's showing up here. Hey, check this out. In verse 38, I didn't catch this when we read it the first time. When they had- Hey, eat- that's- Yeah. Go say it, say it. Sorry, I'm getting excited. Yeah. When, when they had eaten as much as they wanted, when he fed the 5,000, didn't it, it say everyone ate? Yep. Everyone oh, had- that's good. To their full, and then it says- and. Uh, then they lightened the ship by throwing grain into the sea, which means they had enough left over. Yep. Oh, it's so good. It's really good. Oh, I love it. There's a lot of parallels there. Yeah, oh my gosh. Is. We should just end the podcast now. It's yeah. not no, going hey, to get better than that. that. No. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what other observations do you see? One of the things that I saw too, like in verse 30, it says like, so they've been promised that they're going to live, right? Like you're going to live, you're going to survive. But it's like in an attempt to escape, escape from the ship, like, they're still trying to save their own selves, even though they've been promised that they're going to live. Like you're not going to die; the ship will be destroyed, but you're gonna you're gonna survive it. Um, it's it's like they're like, but are we really? I think we're gonna try to take this into our own hands and save ourselves. And then like Paul's like, no, 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 they can't do that because they can't do that. And then they cut the they cut the things. They let the the, the the little boat float away, lifeboat float away, 
and they're and they're like, okay, we're just gonna wait and see what happens to ourselves. But it's this balance of like, am I do I really trust it or should I take it into my own hands? I'm I guess I'm gonna have to trust it. If you were on that boat, would you trust Paul? <laughs> a pri- a pris- uh, honestly, a prisoner. Yeah. Going yeah, to Rome, it's a tough si- and he it's says, a tough "He says, hey, listen, an angel appeared to me and said, <laughs> right. we're, we're gonna we're gonna shipwreck.' <laughs> you're delirious and, from being on the sea and, for too long. And the God that gave me the dream said, you're all gonna be spared because you're with me. Yeah, that seems completely ludicrous. Yeah. If I'm one of the people on that, like working that boat, I'm like, uh, get me a lifeboat, yeah, because yeah. this guy is nuts. Right. What else, CC? In verses 43 and 44 where it talks about the fact that they do in fact, like the, the, the boat does run aground mm. and the rest got there on planks and other pieces of the ship and every in that way, everyone reached the land safely. Uh, the, the phrase that came to my mind is all of God's promises are yes and amen. If God says it, that's just the way it happens. And so God tells Paul, this is what's gonna happen. The boat's gonna crash, but everyone's gonna be spared and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's, Exactly what I was going to look at too. Just just the detail that they went into through 39 all the way through 44 to basically say, this is how the ship was destroyed. And this is how the people got to where they needed to be. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a, an exact detailed description yep. of what he said would happen. Yeah. That's good. The, the last observation I have here is uh, the fact that Paul has this confident word, you know, like he, an angel appears, tells him, here's what's going to happen. So there's some like assurance there, right? Like there's a, there's hope, and yet, um, it, again, like the, the last week we talked about this. When the, just because God says here's how it's going to go doesn't mean it always goes easy, right? Like so, there, it, you're going to be spared, but you're going to run aground. You're going to lose the ship. It's going to be, you know, it didn't get him completely out of the situation, but it gave him hope in the middle of it. No, and the end game was to go stand trial in Rome. So it's not like he was <laughs> not like he was yeah. on his way to an amusement park. Yeah, yeah, crash on a on a beautiful island, and that's where you're just going to spend the rest of your life. This is going to be great. All right, let's talk about uh, the M in comma. Um, you, like we always say, you can do this in either order. I think we're going to start with meditation today. Um, oftentimes, when uh, a way to do meditation when you're in a story is to actually spend some time imagining what it would be like in that moment to actually to not just sort of skim across the surface and get the facts, but to actually dwell in the details and say, okay, there's a lot of sensory details in this story. So you could probably pick a whole lot of different things. I'm just going to pick one set of verses here. And I just want you to imagine, okay, if you were a sailor on the ship, if you were Paul, you can pick, you know, one of the people who was in the story. If you were there, what would it feel like to be a part of this? Um, and, and you can think about your senses. You can also think about sort of spiritually what you'd be thinking, what you might be praying, what you might be wondering about. Um, put yourself in, in that place. Uh, and I'm going to read to you the scene when they are, they're having this meal. Paul said, now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves.
All right, let's talk about the other M in comma, which is message. This is when we try to take one of the observations we've made and to sum it up in a principle that we could apply to our lives. So what message did you get out of this? Um, I, I haven't really kind of formulated this in like a, a concise statement, but I, I'm kind of going back to that observation that I made about the the sailors trying to take things into their own matters, you know, like, uh, well, you said we're going to survive, but I think we're going to try to take this into our own hands and make sure it actually happens. Um, it's this idea that God is faithful and I need to be dependent, I guess is maybe the best way. Because because I can, I know personally, I can easily say, well, I I think I might be able to find a solution to this problem. And, and I quickly want to go into problem-solving mode and try to figure it out on my own, whether that's uh, trying to prevent somebody else from feeling some sort of struggle or some sort of pain or myself. Um, and sometimes um, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes I'm supposed to sit in it and be dependent and just wait it out and see. And I, I need to not be like the sailors and try to take it into my own hands. There's a Rubik's Cube in my house. That's an example of that. The only way that thing is ever going to get solved is if God does it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how people do those things. I got a friend that can solve it in like a couple minutes. He's only 12 years old. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Aren't there YouTube videos that like show you how to do that? There's techniques. Yeah, he's got it down. People can solve them with their feet too. Mind boggling to me and gross. I'll have him come to church one day and show it to you. Yeah. Uh, my my message is, if God says you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome. <laughs> Unpack that. What do you uh, mean? When God says something, it's true. He's never wrong. He never lies. He's never deceptive. God is truth. So if God has said something, it is going to happen. And you can take things, whether you put that in the category of your prayer life with the whole subjective, uh, like I felt like the spirit told me this, or you take things you read in scripture, like the second return of the second coming of Jesus. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If God said Paul's going to Rome, all the circumstances might've looked like, well, we might not make it to Rome. One thing I know for sure, Paul's making it to Rome. My message is, I'm stealing a phrase that I've heard a few other people use, but I really, really like. Uh, my message is this. Uh, Jesus's people are called to be a non-anxious presence in a chaotic world. So I think about Paul in this situation, and it is, it is genuinely threatening. It is a, it is a crisis. Uh, it is chaotic. And yet, because of Paul's confidence in God and God's promise and the purpose that he's put there, like it's not that it's not that nothing needs to be figured out, but Paul can be like an anchoring presence. Not to use a pun, sorry about that. Um, an anchoring presence in this situation of saying, like, we don't have to freak out. Like when he says, "Take courage," you know, the, uh, like he keeps saying that. Uh, and even when he says, "Let's have a meal," like there's something um, that de-escalates the crisis when you say, "Actually, we're going to sit down and eat something." There, there's something about that, and I think that's a, an image of what uh, Christians are meant to be in the world that when the world is going crazy about something that we can say, actually we've got confidence in a bigger story and a bigger purpose and the promises of God that make it so that not that we dismiss the the crisis, 
but we realize we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be freaked out. Uh, we can walk forward with some courage and confidence in that. All right, let's talk about a application. How do we put these things into practice? I think I let my application slip out when I was doing my message. It was that concept of dependence. Um, not, not always trying to take it, take things in my own hands. Um, being okay with just sitting and waiting and seeing what God has in store um, instead of me trying to figure it out for myself all the time. I want to combine Clayton's message with my message. And my application is in that category of like the big picture of things, knowing the end of the story, Jesus comes back, everything gets made right, but we don't live there yet. And so in this world, we're going to have trouble. There's going to be seasons that are chaotic and crazy. And, and all of God's promises are yes and amen. God has told us the truth. Everything he says happens. And so there is a... There is a calm that comes with that. There is a confidence that comes with that. And so my application is when things are getting a little nuts or things would tend to lead themselves towards getting like stressed out with everybody else to take a step back and remind yourself of the big picture of this big God story. Uh, and that will help me be the kind of person that can be the, the, the person that Clayton was talking about, the, the calm and the chaos. Yeah, I think uh, similarly, my application is, in some ways, it's really just to notice where uh, your circumstances or the world is trying to get you worked up. So I think about that on a big macro level. So like one of the realities of like news and media is that the emotions that get you to pay attention are the ones that tend to make you either afraid or angry. And so they work on those things and, and the more like it pays them <laughs> to get you worked up. So it's not that there aren't real crises in the world to say, I have deep concern over that. But, to, but when you start to notice to say, you know what? I keep coming back to this thing and it's just making me anxious. I'm just feeling worried about this thing. Um, that's, that's probably not the first posture a Christian should have. So you should at least recognize something else is influencing me to get anxious that way. Uh, that can also be true on a, um, on a personal level, not just the big global things. But when someone comes to you with a problem, of course, your calling is like Paul to be there with people in the midst of the problem. Um, but sometimes getting sucked into the anxiety and the swirl of drama that's around that, that's, that's actually not a Christian posture. Like if that's not compassion and concern, that's getting swept up into that thing. And so even just the, the practice of saying, where is this happening to me? Um, gives you a chance to do what Ferris was talking about, stepping back and saying, let's get the bigger picture. So it's becoming aware of where you're being called to be anxious rather than non-anxious. All right. Well, that's all that we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.